Right. Being agnostic gives you the ability to know what's working and what's not working. You know right. what you need to look at when you're running a business. You know what to do when you're actually building a business or even scaling a business, being in the investment right. side of things. When you run, it's very different. You can only see it from the above. You're not really doing things, running things, right? Being on the operation, we actually have to drive the goods ourselves, talk to the, our customer ourselves. We have to negotiate. We have to figure out what happened if, let's say, the company cannot meet the demand that is out there. There's many different moving pieces that is not just theoretical. That's actually very different. Especially in Indonesia, there's 83,000 villages, 83,000 different personalities, different culture, different behavior. Mm. You cannot just put one bullet that right. fits everything. Welcome to Brave. Learn from Southeast Asia's best tech leaders. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. No BS on success. I'm Jeremy Al, venture capitalist, serial founder, Harvard MBA, science fiction nerd, and dad of two daughters. Every week, we debate startup news, interview changemakers, answer listener questions, and share personal insights. Join our movement of over 20,000 members and get transcripts, resources, and community at www.braveseha.com. Hey, Wilson. Really excited to have you on the show. We had a, quite a set of wonderful panels together and a just incredible story to share about, about this and obviously your own personal story. Thank you. So, Wilson, could you introduce yourself real quick? De definitely. Thanks a lot for having me, Jeremy. So, my name is Wilson Yana Prasetya. I am the president and co-founder of Dagangan. We are basically the trusted rural commerce platform who try to revolutionize access to affordable daily necessities for rural communities in Indonesia. So, our approach is that we utilize localized hub and spoke approach. Uh, we reach even the most remote areas of Indonesia and deliver daily, necessi daily necessities within 24 hours. So I was born and raised in Indonesia and been doing this for the last three years. Yeah. So how did you get into being a founder? Because you were a consultant at KPMG, you were an associate who became a VP at Northstar. So how did you entrepreneurship? I mean, it's a long journey, honestly speaking. I come from a working class family. Both of my parents doesn't even go to high school, honestly speaking. So, uh, you know, when I have the privilege to study in Canada through a scholarship, I immediately took that opportunity, right? Basically, my background, I'm an engineer. I'm actually a software engineer by training. I did a few years of software engineering back in one of the largest telco in Canada, Atlas. And basically, after doing that, I was then planning to look for new opportunities whereby basically I get myself trained with Six Sigma and move more into the operation side. Uh, and uh, after doing that, I feel like, hey, uh, this is actually a good learning uh, for me. I, I did a lot of projects related cost-cutting to basically corporate governance process improvement and so on. And then after a while, I feel like, hey, I think it's time for me to move back to Indonesia, to Southeast Asia, where I'm from, and look for an opportunity there. I spent my childhood, or just going step back a little bit, my childhood actually is from a small town called Banyuwangi. Uh, basically, it's a nice, uh, beautiful mm. tier three city, far mm. east end of East Java. The population is only like 100,000, right? So looking at that, basically, I feel, hey, is there anything that I can actually go back to Indonesia and improve mainly the tier three, tier four areas, mainly where I'm from in general. So I thought going into finance would definitely help me on that. 
So I did switch my career to finance. I joined Ostar, uh, one of the leading private equity in the region. It gave me definitely an exposure, a lot of different business model, a lot of what's working, what's not working in general, especially mm. in the countries. And I was looking at what can I do to help basically the lower mm. tier cities. I still remember back in the days, I was holding 5,000 rupiah to buy ice cream. Mm. In Banyuwangi, I can only yeah. get a few of them, I think two or three pieces, that's it. And a lot of yeah. times my favorite ice cream flavor, which is like, the mocha flavor is never available in, just because it's just oh. not popular at all. So uh, yeah. when I moved to Surabaya, my family moved there. So I have to move there as well during my elementary school. Basically, it's the second largest city in Asia. It's a tier one city. I'm quite surprised that 5,000 rupiah can actually get me double the number of ice cream. And I still can wow. get some changes huh. on top of So that starts to realize that, hey, there is a problem. There is a, definitely a problem right. where the price of goods in the tier 3, 4, 5 areas in Indonesia is a lot more expensive than in the big cities. So I always want to look at how can I add values using my tech know-how, corporate finance background, business skills, and then basically looking at what can I do to improve on especially uh, creating some sort of a social impact uh, in the area. And I thought, hey, uh, when I met all my co-founders who are in Dagangan, they are all coming from tier three and rural areas. We all have the like-minded, mm. uh, we, we all have the same vision, same goal. So let's jump on in it because doing something for rural Indonesia is not for everyone. And you cannot just go right. bits by bit. You have to go either really rural or you're not really adding values at all, right? So, you know, having lived in these places, uh, comparing where I was in Banyuwangi and then in Surabaya, and then move to Canada. Just feel like basically there is a big digital inequality in there, lack of infrastructure, or even from the government spending. I would say it's not efficient in terms of the government spending. And that creates all these issues for the supply of goods in the air. So that's pretty much the reason why we all decided let's do this. Uh, we don't know what's the business model at that time yet. Uh, we have to do a lot of trial and error. But at the same time, we all know that we want to improve uh, the rural areas of Asia, especially from the supply chain side. So you shared about how all of the founders had that shared experience of being in a tier three city growing up and thinking about that problem. But how did you land on the idea, first of all, of meeting up and building something together? And two, how did you come towards making a decision that this is the approach that you want to build? It? Sure. So basically, there's five people who are actually the co-founders of Dagangan. So myself, Brian, Willy, uh, Andik, as well as Adi. All of us has worked in together, basically, in some way or form. Plus, I was in Kerja prior to and basically, I work with Anika, who is actually our CTO right now and co-founder. Ryan, on the other hand, I worked with him in the past through some consulting experience as well as basically doing something together. And Willie and Adi has worked together with uh, Ryan. So all of us are coming from... Probably Banyuwangi is the biggest city among the five of us, honestly speaking. Like everyone else is really coming from either the rural. Even one of us actually come from East Nusa Tenggara, which is actually one of the island uh, mm. with only a thousand people in terms of population. Yeah. So it, it's quite, I would say, we, we know what's the problem. We just don't know how to solve it. Right. That problem has been there for like many, many right. years. But at least we all know that there is an issue and we know that you know, there are, these challenges can be solved if we really focus on it, right? So doing trial and error, initially we were not doing uh, daily necessities. In fact, we were doing some electronics. Initially mm. we were selling electronics. Right. As it's, it's not even in Java Island, we were actually selling electronics next somewhere in Sulawesi Island, right? So that's, that's basically how we started initially. And then we find out that, no, it doesn't work. 90% of the spending, more than 
kind of the spending of people in tier three, tier four are actually spent on daily essentials and mostly fast-moving consumer right. goods, right? Uh, and we know that there is an issues related to fast-moving consumer goods, whereby goods are not coming properly. Uh, supply of goods are not consistent. Right. I can't find my mocha flavor ice cream ever in Banyuwangi. Uh, so it's actually a big problem right there. And and we want to solve it. Uh, we want to increase uh, the availability. And when you do that, you are not really cutting the value chain of the supply chain of, of the way things are already running. You're actually getting a new market. You're actually helping people right. to be able to get what they need fast, easy, and cheaper. Right. Yeah. So that's basically how we right. do it. Yeah. So there you are, you're building this business model. And the truth is there have been many teams that try to solve this, right? At different verticals, right? So some of them looking at maybe dry goods. Some people are looking at it in terms of like cold chain. Other people are looking at it in terms of like, you know, last mile delivery. So lots of different models. But I think the crux of it is like, how do we make the experience for the end consumer have maybe like good stuff, high quality, larger range, maybe easier in terms of either price or convenience. So there's a lot of like different models here. Here. And unfortunately, a lot of them have not done so well, right? Especially over the past year, right? So Wilson, how do you think about that? I mean, you mentioned a little bit about how you're approaching it differently, but I'd love for you to kind of explain. Sure, sure, words. sure. I'll, I'll, I'll do what Dagangan do first, basically, in terms of the business model, right? We have what we call a hub and a spoke model, which is basically a very, right. I would say, traditional way of doing things. Honestly speaking, people in Indonesia, the conglomerates yeah. have been doing this for the last like 20, 30 years. Right. This hub is... Right. Typically an asset-based model. However, the way we do it is an asset life in yeah. our case. So we leverage yeah. unused properties or we leverage the local yeah. key opinion leaders in the village, their properties basically, right. to, to be used as our drop-off points or demand aggregation point, which is what we call a hub. Typically, these locations are located deep inside the village, sometimes inside the forest, sometimes nearer to the beach, sometimes up the mountain. But once the hub is set up, then we will just plug in our software, our system, our our warehouse management, right. all the way that is linked directly into the brands and the distributors. So when we are able right. to do this, brands will deliver directly into this location while we take care of the delivery to our customers in the rural areas. I would say it's traditional in a way. Where's the tech component of it? Basically, we leverage the human connection and a combination of network effect to acquire these customers. We work with the local head of village right. in the area, for example, the wife of the head of village in the area. We help them. They are actually the one who help us to acquire these customers to make sure that we get the trust that is right. needed to go into all this village. Yeah. That creates a very different right. approach immediately as compared to the typical, I would say what you call a warung tech business model. There is four different business models that I'm seeing. And again, I'm trying to know what other people are doing, but at least that's actually what we personally box it up into four different things. Oh, I see the hand signals. Is Correct, exactly. Two by two? two by two. Oh, I want to hear. I'm all, all, <laughs> all, all, right, all for two by twos. Just feel free to explain it. Sure, you sure, it sure. Is, yeah. Of course, of course. So so basically, we, we split it, right? Like one is the, those guys who are really trying to make the existing supply chain more efficient. Existing, right? So that means yeah. typically they yeah. look at how the process today and how they can actually make it more yeah. efficient. So one model is basically what they call a pure marketplace model. 
they don't have any inventory at all. They're just focusing on being an asset light. They are being a marketplace, a B2B marketplace that connects typically like suppliers into the demand side. But the problem with this, because when you start going into cutting the supply chain or basically trying to make it more efficient, typically you will not work with brands directly. Typically you will just look at what's available in the market and mind you sometimes the price of the goods in the market is cheaper than what the brands are selling. But at the same time, that's because of another right. issues that's happening, infrastructure issue that's happening within the country. But anyway, those guys uh, are focusing on that. And as a result, the customers are buying from this company because of one main reason, which is basically price. And because it's FMCG, right. fast-moving consumer goods, such a low margin, they have to buy it in a very, very big volumes to make it worth it to buy it from that platform, right? Mm. And, 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 and right. then you end up focusing on only the bigger ones because for the smaller ones, there's no reason for you to really go into that platform, trying to figure out the logistic, trying to figure out all the hassle just to get a little savings altogether. Yeah. Yeah, That's actually the marketplace, what we call a 3P model. Then there is another one that is actually focusing more on 1P, 1P model. So this 1P model is basically when they actually take inventory, when they actually focus a bit more on the supply, they try to control the whole supply chain system. But they are still focusing on trying to fix that basically process between the the supplier all the way into the customers. When they try to do that, obviously you go into the one that has highest density population-wise. You you want to look for places whereby there is enough demands in the area so that you can try to try to make it more efficient. Typically, this is located in tier one, sometimes in the tier two cities, sometimes it's in the greater area of tier tier one. Right. Still the same, one of them. Right. The problem, again, when you go into this, the customer tend to go to you because you provide a cheaper cost. You can always go into another mm. alternative. Technically speaking, without that specific platform, they still can do it without any issues right. just because the process is already running for the last 20, 30 years. So that's pretty much the price sensitive or the price focus type of the customers. And then there's another one that actually like us and this other model whereby we try to increase or look into the demand of the underserved market. We, we try to look at the market whereby it's really served by the brands today. So other than Nagangat, as a model, which is the hub and spoke, there is another one called the social commerce community group buying model. There is many different social uh, commerce model out there, but just specifically mm. for the Warung Tech model, we go into the community group buying, which is pretty much what people are using. So they typically leverage agents right. to sell their goods. They typically uh, acquire the customers right. using these agents and then give this agent commission based on whatever they're selling. Now, the problem with, I, I mean, like the problem with this model is that basically when there is, when they're trying to sell fast moving consumer goods, especially when we are looking into expanding the market into places whereby brand does not cover, technically those will be the tier three, tier four. Right. When you try to serve tier three, tier four right. using an agent model, whereby they are actually having to give some mm. commission. FMCG, we all know is a single digit margin. Right. It might not be economically feasible yeah. to pay commission to make it right. sustainable. Maybe they can do it for the first few times, but right. is that sustainable? Is it some, right. somebody has to pay for that commission and the loyalty the loyalty of the customers are typically towards mm. the agent, not to the platform because of the right. commission structure that has been right. going on. And then there is us, right? So right. 
we are still focusing on the untapped market, underserved brands needs us more because we are focusing on tier three and tier four. We don't provide any commission model because it's not really through the agent model. We use the community model. We leverage the head of village, for example, the, the local key opinion leaders, for example, to really help us to acquire and build that trust. We go into places whereby it's not really dense in terms of population. So cost-wise for brands to go there will be too expensive. They would rather use us as a platform because we manage multiple brands at once rather than focusing on one or two brands. So that kind of like helped us to reduce the cost a lot in terms of reducing our cost of acquisition, making sure that basically this is sustainable. That's kind of like the four different business models that, that you know, we are seeing and how we are actually quite different as compared to them because our model is mainly serving the supplier rather than really focusing on trying to the chain. So can you please just at least tell me the, the axis? So the y-axis is okay. the two sides? The y-axis is, is, is really in terms of whether you're actually focusing on tier 1, tier 2 or tier 3, tier 4. And then the X part is actually whether you are yeah. actually focusing on the size of the customers, basically whether you're trying to cut the chain or or not. Okay, got it. In terms of are you enhancing the current chain, are you trying to kind of like Correct. displace it? Yeah, and I think what's been interesting is that it doesn't feel like an easy space, right? So regardless of which quadrant you are, I think one reflection I've had is that operational discipline is super key. I mean, no matter which quadrant, no matter whether it's one digit or barely two digits, <laughs> I think it's barely two digits, right? You know, I think operational discipline right. is so key, right? I think that's one thing I noticed. The second thing is actually the definition of profitability has been a big problem. And what I mean by that is, I think I, I think I step back and I've had a chance to meet different founders. And I think one of the biggest regrets that founders have often said is, like not agreeing on the definition of profitability with the board or what the goals are, right? So, so obviously the big one thing you can go for is GMV, right? That's a big, <laughs> beautiful number. You know, it's, it's always 10 times larger than profitability, right? You know, so your GM and it's GM. And then of course, I think a lot of people learn from the, you know, like the Uber, the Grab, you know, like GM gross margin versus CM1, CM2, CM3. So there's a rocket internet accounting kind of dynamic. So I think there's a lot of fuzziness around what the number is. And obviously, you know, EBITDA, you can't, you know, you can't make that up. And cash flow, you can't make that up, right? But I think, I think the float between GMV, GM, CM1, CM2, CM3, I feel like that has been the biggest problem. I don't know. I don't know why. And I, I don't know why it's so hard in some ways, but I also understand it's hard. So can you explain from your perspective how people should be thinking about it? I, yeah. I'm not, you know, uh, the master of it myself, right? But at the same time, I come from a private, yeah. private equity background. So we are more conservative that right. way. It's actually quite simple. I mean, when you yeah. run a business, let, let, let's say you don't right. even have an, in, you know, VC, venture capital investor whatsoever, right? When you run a business, you know that right. you're going to lose money for the first X amount of time. Until then, basically, you start making money right. and covering your costs, previous costs that you have actually spent. That's pretty much right. the general thing of how you actually run a business. And then when you actually look into that, you split right. it, you know, what is actually your variable cost? What is actually your fixed cost? Can your, what, can whatever that you are selling actually cover your complete variable cost? Right. And then at what right. point in time that you can actually start covering your fixed cost altogether? That is actually the general, right. simple way of looking at things. But unfortunately, because of the negative blitz scaling that has been happening in the last, you know, in the early, I mean, 2021, 20, 2020, or even before, it, it, the, the nature of the business is like top line growth. As long as you have money, you can actually cover everything. You can actually become a market leader. And then basically, you can actually win the market, especially in time. Yes, you're right. It happens for Airbnb. It happens for Google. It happens for many, many different companies that actually use that specific model and it works. However, it's 
for every single business, especially in Indonesia, whereby a lot of the business are mainly based on offline, right? So technically, the offline way of doing things is the number one thing that you should do, which means we have to look at what is actually your variable cost. Are you actually losing money every time you sell something? When we say variable cost, is sales cost your variable cost? Is logistic cost your variable cost? So it's not just the price of goods sold, the cost of goods sold, right? It, it, it is everything that is derived from that specific thing that you're actually selling. If let's say you need more people, you need to hire more people just to sell a certain goods or things, then it's actually going to your variable right. cost. Now, the, the thing is, can you cover right. that? If you can't really cover that, obviously yeah. you have not met your product market fit. <clears throat> obviously you should not scale because the more you scale, the more you're actually right. losing money. We, for example, in Dagangan, we are actually quite blessed that we are not doing it from the beginning. You know, we are working with all the like-minded investors, like-minded founders, stakeholders. We know that basically, you know, to do this, we have to do it properly. We have to do it right. You know, basically, we have a path for profitability even from day one. You know, we know that there is three different things yeah. that we are actually focusing on. We know that we have to sell FMCG when we go into the rural markets. It generally has a lower margin as compared to fashion, boot beauty, etc. So your cost structure, your CAC, right. you know, your supply chain has to be super tight from day one. Your piece of inventory has to be super low. Right. Your cash conversion cycle has to be correct. Right. So all these are actually metrics that are constantly being monitored, even if let's say you're doing this the, the offline way <clears throat> without the tech investment whatsoever. Right. right. Having a positive contribution right. margin from day one is something that we actually have achieved from when we started. And and that allow us to, to be sustainable. And we know that as we go deeper into the tier four areas, it allows us to have a logistic cost that's even lower mm. and a lot more efficient. Right. So right. you know, there right. is a clear path towards that profitability, at least from that specific margin. Right. Secondly, we have the community in the village. We work with the local key opinion leaders. As you have this community to start growing in that area, in the village, there is actually a tipping point whereby customers start going to you without any physical assistance. People just automatically order from Dagangan, from that area. So users starts coming automatically right. will keep your CAC low as well. But even before that, you are already contribution margin positive, right? So your your focus on, on this piece of towards profitability is just fine-tuning to make sure that you are actually making more profit instead of turning profitable. That's actually the difference. And no, three, basically, you know, we know that today we are doing FMCG. At the end of the day, we have to sell something else. We have to look into something that is higher in terms of margin, right? Again, that will only happen after the first two that I mentioned are actually covered, which actually we are right. doing from all, right? right? So keeping the cost low, keep priority high, basically balancing the margin as well as cash conversion cycle are basically the three clear, I mean, strategy that we are actually doing in order for us to be able to prof to, be, to turn profitable. And, and hopefully we know what to do as well, right. you know, just to achieve that. Yeah, and I think that's why it was always impressed me is that I think you have always been sober over the past few years I've known you. You were sober during the, well, it's it's always easy to be sober when it's the bear times, right? Because every, everyone's sober, but you were very sober during the bull times as well, which is why I appreciated this and why you're here on the podcast. You know, I think what's very true is that, you know, I think you talk about the concept of blitzscaling versus negative blitzscaling. And I've met the co-author of blitzscaling. And what's interesting is that a lot of people have read, heard of the term. And so they say, oh, blitzscale, blitzscale. 
But then, you know, if you look at the book and what he's applying to, he's actually referring to technology right. businesses, right? So he's primarily referring to SaaS. He's primarily referring even to marketplaces that have, they don't look at a GMV, but you look at the highly profitable marketplaces, right? And I think like what you said in, in, in Indonesia, but also I think across Southeast Asia, when you're doing primarily in some ways the services and a logistics business, then your product market fit, you know, the margin is different, right? And so you got to be very, very careful about when product market fit, you know, whether you have it or not and whether it's time to build scale or not, right? Because I think the issue, like you said, is at, at the end of the day, like a lot of people say like, okay, we hit GMV, we did this number, bought back the envelope, we, we have hit product market fit, our current board thinks that we hit product market fit, therefore let's blitz scale. But blitz scale is not for some definitions of product market fit, whatever you want to call it. It's actual requires rigorous PMF, right? So I think there's a awkward reality, I think that, you know, I think a lot of people in Southeast Asia, like, we, we, you know, it's like, we're reading Substack, but Substack is all referring to American market, referring to American business models, referring to American margins. It doesn't apply to, like you said, you know, Southeast Asia, or the exact business we're working on, right? So of course, if you happen to be working on the right business that fits, go for it, right? But I don't, not every business is the same. Exactly. I, I completely yeah. agree with you. I don't know. It's like, completely agree with yeah. you. I think, yeah. I think, yeah. you know, I'm not saying that blitz scaling is a bad thing, right? Like, you know, if let's say you are really into, exactly. say, uh, you know, building a platform, building SaaS, like you mentioned, building an AI platform and, and so on, yeah. you might need to do that maybe just to gain the market share yeah. and then you figure yeah. out later on how they actually attract right. uh, to you. But, you know, Indonesia, many developing countries, a lot of it are offline, right? Like a lot of yeah. it are actually driven from the traditional I mean, our digital penetration, yeah, it's growing. It's it's growing very fast. But at the same time, you need that offline piece, that the, the human connection to yeah. help grow business. Yeah, yeah. And I think when you think about this offline business, and then I think one thing you you said that was very interesting at the start of the podcast was you said, hey, either you're working on urban areas or you're working on really kind of like rural areas. And if you're not, then you're actually not really doing anything different. So I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. But what do you mean by that, you know? What do you, because I think everybody feels like you start from urban, then you do the suburban, and then you do the rural, right? It feels like a very, I'm sorry to say, this, very consulting deck that you, know, you kind of like work your way down the, the, the ladder in that sense, right? But I'm, I'm so curious, Wilson, what do you think about that? Sure, sure. So, 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 you know, I think the definition of rural, suburban, urban, you know, people are actually going to rural, but yeah. not sure what's happening in the operation and so on. All those are actually for stories, yeah. right? And this is, again, going back into that yeah. scaling, you need to scale, you need to in increase your valuation, hence you have to come out with new right. growth driver and uh, in terms of how to actually scale the business no, and so on. Yeah. But being in this business for right. the last four years, we all know that at the end of the day, basically, who is actually your real client? Your real client actually is the supplier. For the demand side, in terms of the people, yeah, I know I was in Banyuwangi. I experienced the problem whereby it's very, very difficult to get things. But can you get things if you want to? Yes, you just pay more. The problem is basically, do you want to do that? Mm. But how can that happen? It's just because right. there is a lack of supply. So when you go back into finding out, right. you know, just building any business, you have to talk to your customers. Sometimes uh, people think that the customer is right. just one side, which is actually the customer and the demand side. Right. There is also the supplier side. They are actually your customers as well. And when you talk to them, right. no, basically right. their main problems is gaining market share trying to understand, you know, I've spent all this marketing budget. I spent all this way of, of, of growing into a new market, but it, it's failing because of the distribution, because the product availability is there. Right. I put advertisement on TV, people watch it, people see my products. However, when they look for it, it's not available because of the infrastructure. So we look into that, we go back to the drawing right. board, we see like, you know, if we are just going into the, what we call a suburban, let's say the areas around the yeah. tier one city, for example, they are still covered by the brands. Right. 
there is enough distribution yeah. chain in that level that allows the people, the user in that area right. to get their goods. Yeah, it might be a little bit harder, but you still can right. get it. But if you go up into the Mount Merapi in our area, if you go into the Parang Tritis beach in, in southern Yogyakarta, if you go into like basically Gunung Lawu, for example, there's no way that you can get those goods easily. Sometimes they just, they're so limited. Right. And is the demand there? Definitely. I mean, the people are actually like, you know, they're farmers. Yes, I know it fluctuates. You know, sometimes there's the, a good moment. Sometimes there's bad moments uh, in terms of their income however their spending right. uh, they need their their spending is also growing and and they need it for their you know daily necessities and unfortunately what happened today is that they're making a lot less money at the same time they're paying double the amount right. just to get what they need and that's actually a problem that even the brands yeah. wants somebody to solve they cannot solve it by themselves yeah. because if you're just start selling one single brand, it's too expensive. But if let's say we have, we are there uh, and serve them, you know, going all out, going into really rural areas, I'm talking about places whereby all these brands does not want to go. Then you're actually providing values on both ends, not just on one end, on both ends, on both supply side, right. as well as the demand side. And that's basically why we have been growing in the last, even during this time, we are still growing. We are still doubling every year or, or more. For example, and and the reason is simple. It's just because we are really providing values into both the customers as well as the suppliers. And when when I say going all out, means you really have to go all out and really try to solve what the customer needs. And on that note, could you share about a time that you personally have been brave? Um, yeah, I think well, there's many different times that you know I feel that way, right? But I think you know, honestly speaking, doing this is not really going into the entrepreneurship is something that I think later, and I have to push myself a little bit. Initially, I was more of like basically a corporate guy, but now that I do this, I feel like hey, this is actually a real good things that I'm doing. I'm actually not only just solving that problem. We are all, all the founders are not just solving the problems in the rural markets, but also basically adding social impacts into the life of the people in the rural. And that on its own is actually giving you a, a complete different happiness, I would say, of, of what you have been doing in the past. And, yeah. you know, I, I've, I, I, I didn't come from a wealthy family. I come from a basically working family, right? So so going and trying to take that risk initially was tough. But at the end of the day, basically, it's something that I feel if I were to do it again, I would do it even earlier in my age. <laughs> you use a phrase, completely different happiness. Could you share what the difference of the happiness is? Right. So basically, I think when you actually add values into what you're doing, you have a personal goal, right? Like basically, okay, this is actually what you want to do. Let's say you want to build a better business model that can attract or go into the rural. That on its own from the finance, financial perspective is good because basically it's sustainable and so on. But when you actually ask and talk to the customers, when you actually talk to the suppliers, when you actually hear them saying that, hey, without Dagangan, I will not be able to be where I am today. Without Dagangan, for example, we talked to a few customers in our Yogyakarta village or even places in, in the village in around Pati, for example, they tripled their income within one year because of dagangan. They're, we are able to provide not only cheaper goods, but also having to be able to keep it sustainable, make, making sure that the goods are always there when they look for it, keeping or, or make, closing that demand gap in, in a way. So that on, that on its own you know, makes me feel like, you know, we are not doing this just for a financial, but we are also doing this basically for something that is more to grow the economy in the area, right? To, to help the people in the rural areas mm. to increase their well-being, 
not not many of us actually have the the luxury, right? Like mm. to admit, I'm privileged to be able to go to school abroad, right? Even though I'm from Banyuwang, but at the same time, you know, when you mm. look into the people in the rural, like if you can actually give them something more than just income, right? Like the ability for them to provide their families, their extended families, the ability for them to provide jobs, the ability for them to increase the number of production that they have in the field. Something that gives you a different type of happiness that I mentioned. When you think about this, you were on both sides of the table, right? You were at Northstar on the private equity and the tech investment side. And now you're on the founder side. What do you think about that past life? Was it happy? Was it unhappy? I'm just kind of curious from your perspective. How do you compare it? it it's day? different. But, you know, I think yeah. without one, I wouldn't be able to get into the other. I, I, I think right. being at Northstar gives you the ability to know what's working and what's not working. You know right. what you need to look at when you're running a business. You know what to do when you're actually building a business or even scaling a business so that you stay sober, for example, and so on. There's a right. lot of things that actually you're learning from that nature, right? Being in the investment right. side of things. Obviously, when you run, it's very different. Being in the investment side, you can only see it from the above. You're not really doing things, running things, right? Being on the operation now, we actually have to drive the goods ourselves. We have to talk to the, our customer ourselves. We have to negotiate. We have to figure out what happened if, let's say, the company cannot meet the demand that is out there. There's many, many different moving pieces that is not just theoretical. That's actually very different. Especially in Indonesia, there's 83,000 villages, 83,000 different personalities, different culture, different behavior. Mm. You cannot just put one bullet that right. fits everything. But at the end of the day, we are all doing this because we want to keep learning. You just want to be a better person, whether you are actually, whatever you are doing, whether I'm in Oscar or whether I'm actually doing this today with the rest of the co-founders. You know, at the end of the day, we are all learning in here and... And, and through all this learning, you have your personal goals that you want to reach at the end. At the end of the day, basically, after you, you know, throughout your life, you want to ask yourself, like, what do you do? Are you just doing things for yourself or are you actually adding values to other people? And basically, that's basically where I'm, I think you are as good as if you are able to provide that to everybody else around you. Amazing. On that note, I'd love to kind of like summarize the three big takeaways I got from this. First of all, thank you so much for sharing. I think the story behind why founding Dagangan was uh, such a powerful one, right? I think you shared about how you grew up wanting to eat mocha ice cream and it was you can't find it or it was too expensive and uh, you went somewhere else and you realized it was more available. But I thought it was just an interesting story about, like you said, you grew up in a working class family. You grew up in what you describe as a tier three city. And so you had a good idea of what the disparity is in terms of demand, but also more importantly, in terms of supply, right? I thought that was kind of a beautiful story about sharing about how the rest of the founding team also had a similar background. And I thought it was just nice to hear, I think, your articulation of what the problem is, but also why the problem matters to you. And the second, of course, is thank you so much for sharing, I think, I say an operator's perspective on, you know, all the different things, right? Like we talk about Warung Tech, we talk about the different business models and approaches from disruption to enhancing the current supply chain about which cities are targeting from tier one all the way to tier three, tier four. But also I think sharing a little bit about you know contribution margins, gross margins, GMV, as well as bid scaling and when do you have product market fit. So I thought that was a really in-depth masterclass, honestly, because I think it's a very rare perspective about, you know, what works and what doesn't work, right? Because, you know, if I read, I don't know, the tech news, everything works, right? You know, until, you know, something goes wrong, right? And everyone's like, boo, boo. And I'm like, you know, 
know, it's a bit imbalanced, right? It can't be like everything's amazing, then suddenly this person's horrible. I mean, the truth is we're all trying to figure out how to make it work in Southeast Asia, right? So we're all learning from each other and we're all helping exactly. one another. And so I think it's good of you to share that advice because I think it will help other founders who are building uh, similar businesses or exploring that vertical in different countries and different areas to be really helpful. And lastly, I think thank you so much for sharing about what a completely different happiness means, right? I thought that was a very nice phrase because, you know, you're one of the few folks who have done both sides of the table, right? Both on the investing side as well as the founder side. I guess I'm the opposite. I've done both sides of the table as well, but now it's the other way around from the founder side to the VC side. But I thought it was just nice of you to kind of share that there is a kind of like different happiness. And I think you were very thoughtful about sharing that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of purpose that you get. But also, you know, I think it was very nice of you to share that actually your experience and Northstar helped you understand what is the type of business you need to build and what are the, the metrics that you need to hit for a healthy and sustainable business. So on that note, thank you so much, Wilson, for coming on the thank great you. show. Thank you. No, really, really appreciate for having me. Okay, we're good. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We would also appreciate you leaving a rating or review. Head over to www.bravesea.com for member content, resources, and community. Stay well and stay brave. Stay brave.